The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
Welcome. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. There has been a very serious accident. A wreck. We didn't plan it. We didn't want it. But the wreck has occurred. The church has been involved, and there are casualties. The church has wrecked in America. Nobody wanted the wreck, but it was not accidental. It was planned by demonic powers. Read carefully the book of Jude. Secretly, men slipped in among the church, teaching heresies, teaching lies about the blood of Jesus, counting it as no more powerful than the blood of bulls and goats, bringing the old covenant in as the new covenant and saying it doesn't matter now because we're covered, we're covered, we're covered. We're in trouble. The church has been vomited out of its buildings. Many of you have not been able to attend church except by computer for a year or so. This wreck, some pastors have bravely tried to not be involved in the wreck. And they have tried to continue keeping their churches open, and they have continued trying to do the same old, same old. But they are in the wreck. And then many pastors went on Zoom or on some other avenue to broadcast their church services And they tried to continue the same old, same old. Entertainment, levity, comforting messages, no rebuke for sin, pretending that everything was going to come back to normal. Well, tell me something. When you drive that beautiful Mercedes, and you hit someone head on and the airbags go and the front end is smashed. Do you then think that you can drive away from the accident? You think that miraculously this beautiful new Mercedes Benz that was involved in the accident is going to simply reshape itself? And everything will be back. No. No. You know it has to go to the mechanic shop, to the body shop, and they may decide that it's beyond repair and it must be junked. Well, the church will be junked in the outward manifestation, but it will not be junked as the body of Christ. But Jesus is now in the process of reshaping that body of Christ. But to ensure that we do not continue in the same practices that brought about the wreck, we have to examine carefully some of the root causes. I will not go in depth with this today but I will be going in depth in the future. The church is not going to reappear as it was. And if you think that you can go back and be normal in the church, you have missed what God has done because it is the Lord who has shut the church down in America.
Now, if you tell me it was the devil who shut it down, well, perhaps, but God used that. And he's used it to discipline his church. So where do we go from here? What's next? Well, part of it is we have to look very carefully at what has caused this accident. It has to be investigated. I want to give you two primary reasons for this wreck that has occurred called the church. First of all, is the lie of cheap grace. Cheap grace is the belief that grace covers your sin and it doesn't cost you anything. Cheap grace means it's on the market, but it's it's cheap. It doesn't have real value. It's a covering that makes everything okay. Well, take a blanket out and and cover your Mercedes that was all smashed up and say to me, oh, my car's fine. See, it's all covered up. It's all warm and cuddly in its blanket. Well, that's the second reason for this wreck that has occurred. And that reason is the belief that God is sentimental. The sentimental love of God has caused us not to understand that the that the church must be in the shop and must have a total overhaul and maybe even a, a rebuild. Now, what is sentimental love of God? What what's that mean? Well, we say a person is sentimental if they are excessively prone to feelings of tenderness, sadness, or nostalgia. A sentimental person relies on their feelings as a guide to truth. Webster defines sentimentality as marked or governed by feelings rather than reason. The modern church has brought in all kinds of sentimental music. And then the church has said, oh, do you see the presence of God is among us? No, the presence of God is not among you. Sentimentality is among you. You've had your emotions kicked up. You've had your emotions stirred. But there's no real commitment to Jesus Christ. And there's no cost for the grace that we so desperately need. And so between cheap grace that costs us nothing, this lying belief that Jesus paid it all on the cross and that all of my past, present, and future sins have been forgiven so I can never lose my salvation as one beloved old man who preaches regularly on the radio says, Look, you're God's kid. You can't lose your position. Will you disown your children when they do something wrong? Of course not. They're always your kids. He said, we're God's kids. So when you go to church, don't worry about repentance. or Just go and enjoy yourself. Have a good time. Laugh, cry, have a wonderful time at church. Well, he's a liar. He is intentionally lying. He's old enough to understand the reality of what cheap grace is. This lie of the unconditional love of God. Because Jesus paid it all at the cross, so we're all covered. No, we're not. What Jesus did on the cross was simply 
open the gate of heaven and pay the price for our sin. But now we have to appropriate that righteousness and that atonement, that shed blood. What is my part? According to Romans, the sixth chapter, my part is to be baptized or to be crucified with Christ Jesus to lose my life. Not to keep my life and claim that I'm covered by the cheap grace of God so that I'm good to go even though I'm still a wicked man. That That is what has caused this church wreck. On one hand, this church wreck causes me great sorrow of heart. And on the other hand, it makes me angry because how many precious men and women have lost their salvation and died and gone to hell because they were lied to so they were not appropriately fixed up to go into the kingdom of heaven. So they were denied entrance. Hell will be full of people who say, I'm a Christian, I deserve to go in. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth at the great judgment. So it's very serious what's happened. There will be there will be many, many casualties because of these two lies. Cheap grace, you're covered by the grace of Jesus and you're good to go in the midst of your sin. That's a lie. And it's based on believing that God is sentimental, that he has all of these tender feelings toward us that will cause him to not be just. That he will let illegal immigrants flood heaven's gate that he he will allow men and women to flood through the gate of heaven in the fullness of their sin. Now, I know. The modern church has said, oh, no. No, no, when you die, you're changed and you're made righteous. Can you imagine an unrighteous man who loves the things of darkness, who loves wickedness, who loves the professional sports, who loves the worldliness of our day. He loves the money. He loves the power. He loves the prestige. He loves the the wickedness, sexual uncleanness. He loves the pornography. He loves all the things that is that is designated by God or that are designated by God as unclean things. And then he arrives in heaven and discovers that all of that has been stripped away from him. What's he going to try to do? He's going to try to go back and find it. And then we're going to have heaven turned into hell. No, it's not going to happen. There is not going to be a car wreck in heaven. Only the righteous in this life will enter that life. My father used to always say to me, and it was always frightening to me. He said, your last day on earth, Raymond, and your first day in heaven, you will be exactly the same person in character. You will be exactly the same person in love. If you don't love Jesus here and you were taken there, you wouldn't love Jesus there. He said, your body will be changed in the twinkling in the moment. But your character will not be altered. You either go to heaven because of the redemptive work done in you by the Holy Spirit, or you will not go at all. So, what's next? What's next? 
The car wreck has happened. Are we going to return to normal? No, we are not. The church is not going to return to its wicked way of life. It's not going to be able to return to its soft and wonderful and enthusiastic and sentimental music. It's not going to be able to do that. It's not going to be able to go back to sitting in the pew like a row of crows on a line while the pastor up front throws out his entertainment, his entertainment, his jokes and his little sermonettes and his little tidbits of wisdom. Not going to happen. The church is not going to go back to that. So what's what's next? All I can tell you, what's next at the National Prayer Chapel? Sunday, the people came in to my home. And I said to them, it's now time for a total change. I said, in the scripture, there is no separation between what we call laity and clergy. I'm pastor, and my job is to help equip you for the work of service in the kingdom of God. So now, it's not me on the stage, it's you on the stage. All week long, caring for the poor, winning the lost, sacrificing time, energy, and money to further the work of the kingdom of God. And so, to begin that, I'm not going to preach today, and I'm not going to preach again until things have dramatically changed. You have, in fact, had way too much preaching. Now it's time to pray. And I referenced that passage in the book of Acts, the first chapter, as they came together at Christ's command in the upper room. In verse 14, they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, many women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers, about 120 people. This was the beginning of the New Testament church, waiting before God and praying the beginning of the New Testament church was a prayer meeting. The church, to recover from the wreck it has been through, must stop every action of sentimental, cheap grace entertainment. And the preacher is going to have to stop preaching. And it's time for the church to come together and pray. Now, the problem is the church doesn't know how to pray. Probably half of the people who were with me on Sunday did not pray. They sat silent. When it was time to close, I went around, and each one of these people, calling them out by name, I said, do you plan on praying next Sunday? And some of them began to give me an explanation, and I held my hand up and I stopped them. I said, my question to you was a yes or no question. It needs no explanation. Will you pray, yes or no? You see, the reality is, We've listened to preaching for so many years and we've been entertained. Many of you going to church and having a Hollywood show, a Broadway show, 
with your smoke machines and your strobe lights and your entertaining skits. No, it's time to lay all of that aside. It's over. The car, the the church wreck, the car wreck has happened. And the church is all smashed up. Some of you are going to lose your buildings because you were so deep in debt and now you can't pay and the, the bank will foreclose on you. So, it's time to pray. There is no division between your private prayer closet and your praying at church. Both places should be the opening of your heart to God as to a friend and letting gush out all of the sentimentality and then get down to brass tacks of praise and worship that is honest with integrity and the crying out for the Holy Spirit to come in power for the church. Jesus said in John 15, you can do nothing without me. Well, what we have done is we have built sand churches. You've heard of sand castles on the beach. And the water comes up and washes over it, and the Sandcastle's gone. Well, the water has come up and washed over the church. And the institutional, entertainment-centered, wicked, cheap grace, sentimentality is washed away. It's over. Now, you can go back on the beach and try to build another sand church. It won't work. The Holy Spirit is is done with that kind of church. And he will bring a further judgment upon this land if we don't quickly repent. A dear sister, a friend, by the name of Leslie, and Leslie's listening right now. Leslie is in her, I believe, 12th day of a 40-day fast where she is crying out to the Lord. And she saw the words, America, repent. America, repent. That is the cry of God to America right now. But the church is going to have to lead the way in that humble repentance. It's time for the church to take its place as the leader in America. And the way it takes its place is to lead America back to Jesus. And to do that, it must begin in the prayer closet, waiting for the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And as he is poured out, the Holy Spirit will shape a new church. The old church is finished. I said last week, God is giving birth to a new church. The old church is finished. And some of you thought I had reference only to the National Prayer Chapel. No, 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 no. I can't set myself apart and say, yes, we had a wreck, but nobody else has. No, they're all wrecked, including the National Prayer Chapel. Because God wants a different kind of church. So, what am I going to do? I'm going to wait on God for the baptism and the power of the Holy Spirit. And as I wait, my heart is utterly open in repentance and crying out to God and humbling my heart before him. And I've called the National Prayer Chapel to repent. And I see green shoots of life in the National Prayer Chapel. We've been dead for some time.
I believe it was a bit of a shock Sunday to be two hours in silence and prayer. We did sing three beautiful hymns at the close of worship. And that was very encouraging to our hearts. Old-fashioned hymns, not cheap sentimental music, not some ditty chorus, but serious, heart-moving, heart-rending music in worship to our Lord. Now, I don't know what you'll do with your fellowship or with the Christians you know. But it's time to pray and to wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to take a few minutes to take you to Romans, the 12th chapter. Romans, the 12th chapter. I urge you, brothers, sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. You remember in the Old Testament the description of the tabernacle of meeting. The first article of furnishing that you found when you brought your animal to the gate, to the entrance, was the altar burnt offering. And it was there that the lamb was slain. Paul is saying that you must bring your offering to the altar of burnt offering. And that your offering that you are putting on that altar is your body as a living martyr, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Not with sentimental love, because God is filled with love. He is love, but it's not, first and foremost, anything to do with sentimentality. It is based on truth. It is based on reason. It is based on understanding. God is just and he is righteous, and he will not tolerate unrighteousness in his kingdom. You cannot casually walk in because the first thing that you're going to hear is you must be crucified with Christ. You must be buried in the baptism of death. The old life is over. The reason the church has had the wreck it has had is it has filled its membership roles with people who are not even half converted. And they have lifted up in their sanctuary a cotton candy Jesus, a false God, a false Jesus, with a false salvation. A salvation that does not require holiness and righteousness. So Paul is saying, after he's given all of the theology of Romans up to the 12th chapter, 5, 6, 7, 8, the normal life of a Christian, he now says, okay, I summon you. The, the NIV translated it, I urge you, but literally in the Greek it's I summon you. I call you. Come here, in view of God's mercy, offer your body as a living sacrifice. Never forget, the dream was so graphic. I found myself entering a huge cathedral. I was in a long line, and every one of us in that line was pulling with us a pull cart 
and there were iron shackles on our wrists and iron shackles then to that pull cart. And we pulled those carts down the aisle to the very front where there was a huge bonfire burning. And a man was there dressed in black with a hood over his head and he had a book in front of him. And when you stepped forward, you had to give your name. My name is Raymond C. Greenlee. Enter me in the book. And he wrote my name in the book. And then he motioned with his hand, Step into the fire. And I stepped into the fire, pulling my cart with me. I came out the other side of the fire, and the iron shackles were gone, and my pull cart was burned in the bonfire. And I was dressed in white, washed and clean. Now, having fulfilled the spiritual act of worship, laying my life on the altar of burnt offering. That's what I'm summoning you to today. I am summoning the American church to come now in view of God's mercy and offer your church and offer your bodies as living sacrifices to the living God of heaven, to Jesus, holy and pleasing to God. This is, Paul says, your spiritual act of worship. This is your reasonable act of worship. Don't tell me you worship God by singing sentimental diddlies before the holy God of Israel. Don't tell me that your spiritual act of worship is to take the communion. Don't tell me that your spiritual act of worship is to call yourself a Christian and be baptized in the water. Not going to work. You're going to have to be baptized in fire. You're going to have to become a living sacrifice. That's your spiritual act of worship. To lay down everything you love in this world and in this life. Some of you love so much that has nothing to do with Jesus. Don't you understand? Don't you hear me? Your love that consumes you with with biking with kayaking, with hunting, with fishing. Nothing wrong with any of these things in moderation, but when they become the very center part of your life and you run your life around those special television shows or you run your life around those activities, you are denying Christ your spiritual act of worship. He says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. In other words, don't conform to the, to the interests of this world. This is what has caused the, the, the church wreck. Being conformed to the world. Being like the world. And finally, God said, that's enough. I'm done with this. He did the same thing to the children of Israel through Isaiah, through Jeremiah. And finally, in Jeremiah's day, he said, the Babylonians are now coming and they're going to take you into captivity. And they burned Jerusalem. And God is saying, American church, I've had it with you. No more. 
It is time for you to offer your bodies as living sacrifices to stop your concern about building your institutions and taking care of your culture. It's time to get right with Jesus. I don't mean to yell at you, but I want you to hear me. This is so urgent. We've we've seen the car wreck. The car is smashed up. The church is smashed up. Because of cheap grace and believing that God has unconditional love for us. Sentimentality. Two wicked lies that have smashed up the church and caused us to think that we can enter into heaven in the midst of our sin. What a lie. Not in accord with Scripture in any manner. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I want to use two words to help you understand the real meaning of those words in the Greek. The word transformed in the Greek is metamorphous. It means when a person is utterly changed into a new person. Uh, We use this of the monarch butterfly, that beautiful green worm that not many of us like. It eats the milkweed, the leaves. It feasts. And then finally, under one of the milkweed leaves, you'll see this incredibly beautiful golden chrysalis, green, with a gold dot on it. Beautiful, stunning. And then if you bring it in your home and you put it in your terrarium, you can watch. And after a time, that chrysalis will begin to break open. And as the chrysalis breaks open, you will see this incredibly beautiful monarch butterfly begin to emerge. And as its wings dry, you need to put it outside and let it fly away. That's a metamorphosis. A person who's gone through a metamorphosis has new habits, new worship, new service, a new person, a radical change, thorough and complete, both inward and outward change. The word renewing of your mind, literally in the Greek, Greek is the renovation. In other words, your mind and your body are going to have to be stripped down And the old is going to have to go, and God is going to have to build a whole new you. Then it says you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. The person who calls himself a Christian, and they bought into the lie of cheap grace, and God's sentimental love for them, that person will never be able to determine what God's will is. And so they're always going to be pushed and shoved by circumstances, by fleshly desires, by the desire to please others. This is not what God wants for his church. We need a new church. And that new church has to begin as a prayer meeting. And we have to wait on the Lord. And in the process, we have to get clean. We have to repent. We have to turn away from the wickedness of this world. Look, what I'm telling you, if you don't do this, you will be washed out of the church. You will not be able to go through what's coming. you will be a part of the five foolish virgins 
who do not have enough oil to carry them through what's coming upon the earth. Do not think of yourself, Paul writes, more highly than you ought, but think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. There is another translation that is a much better translation because this translation would say that I have my measure of faith and so it's about me. No, it's not. In accordance with objective faith, think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with objective faith, that is, the doctrine and the teachings of Scripture. Look not to your own sentimentality. Look not to your own feelings, but examine the Scriptures. Let it be the faith of Jesus Christ. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. No, the translation is wrong. Let each use it in accordance with the true doctrine of Scripture, the objective truth. Otherwise, I can begin to prophesy all kinds of foolishness that comes out of my own heart and my own mind, and it's not tested by the Word of God to determine whether I am prophesying out of an indigestion of the night before, or bad dream, or whether I'm prophesying in accord with the Word of God. It's objective, not subjective. This became a very real truth for me. When I was in seminary, my New Testament professor stood up, and he made a statement that made me so angry, I almost left the seminary. He said, I'm going to tell you something that you're not going to understand, but it's true. To be truly objective, you have to be subjective. In other words, all truth is based on what you know inside of you and what you feel. That's a lie from the pit of hell. There is objective truth. Jesus died on Calvary's tree. He rose on the third day. He was resurrected, and he has ascended into the heavens. That's objective truth. Now, what do you want to do with that objective truth? He then said, in Romans 6, you must be crucified with Christ. You must die. Colossians, you must have Jesus Christ come and take from you the old man and make of you a new creature. The circumcision must be done by the hands of Jesus. It is a supernatural work of grace, but it is an objective work of grace. It's not subject to sentimental love. Yes, you will have great feelings. Yes, your joy will overflow, but it is as a result of what God actually does in the real world, in your mind and in your body and in your heart, as he makes you into a new creature that looks like Jesus, Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is not, this is not sentimental feeling. This is a reality. This is a, a dramatic change in your life. Well, I'm out of time. We're going to continue this tomorrow. I'm not angry. I'm just very, I'm just very upset. I see the church in the wreck. And I so desire revival. 
And so I'm waiting before the holy God of heaven for the baptism of the Holy Spirit for me personally and for you. Well, we're at the end of the month and we're still quite short, about $1,200 short of having what we need to pay the radio bill. Would you write to me? Would you make that check today if the Holy Spirit is moving in your heart? You can write to the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. The bill for this month is exceedingly high because we pay by the day and there were more broadcast days this month. So we're right there at $4,000. And I thank each one of you who has given so generously. Thank you. Thank you. Gail, thank you. Mike, Tom, I could name you. Thank you. Ellen, thank you for what you've done. You can go to our webpage and give online. Go to nationalprayerchapel.com and you'll see the, the donate button. So if you'd like to give online, you can do that. Lord Jesus, I pray for every person who listened today. I pray that the wreck will be very plain to every one of us and that we will come before you in humility and prayer and repent that you would make of the church something beautiful and new, a bride without spot or blemish. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I love you all very much. I'm praying for you. Pray for me. Please pray for me. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon.